today on Commitment to Truth. When a believer is ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it still denies today the Christ who lives within you. A follower of Jesus Christ must get to a point that they say, you know, others may, but I may not. It's always a choice for a follower of Jesus Christ to say, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because others may do that, but I may not. Others may be able to have the privilege to get away with it. Others may be able to do this or that. When we make the decision to just blend in with whatever else someone does, it simply says, I'm ashamed of the cross of Christ. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Cedric, lead pastor of Commitment Church, with today's message. Now, how can we re- refresh one another? How can we refresh one another? Verse 13 and 14 gives us our two answers to that question. It says this in verse 13. Hold on to the example of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Hold on to. It means this. I need you to retain Timothy. I need you to have a sense of wearing it. Wear it. What I've taught you, I want you to wear it then it says the possession of the mind so understand what the text is saying to you and I I want you to wear it there should be this external display you ever hear the term oh she's wearing that dress does it mean she's partially wearing a dress no she is wearing it in all totality she looks beautiful well he's wearing that suit right he's wearing right It's, it's not a partial suit it's the completeness of the suit but then it also talks about the mind there's this possessing of the mind that the entire standard of the word of God must be all consuming must consume you externally and what also internally how do we know that how do we know that happens well the the first thing that normally happens in a follower of Jesus Christ's life is this it it's either going to be an external occurrence that's always first driven by what? An internal transformation. Right? You see it all the time. It's like a person will get transformed from the inside and then what they dress, how they dress changes. How they speak changes. But then there's some people who try to change some stuff first on the outside, but there's no transformation on the inside. So there's a mutual obligation, right? There's an obligation that this transformation is occurring on the inside, but then there must be some external wearing and sensing that something externally has shifted as well. Make sense? So therefore, this example that Paul is saying is that there's this standard, there's this outline, there's this pattern. There's this standard that's been set, there's this outline given, and there's this pattern that you must follow. And the only thing that fits that description is the authority of God's word. The only thing that we should be holding on to. And that's why Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says this, 
in verse four, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things or think on these things. Ask for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice them. Now, this word practice, you know what it means? It means this. It means to commit to. It means to exercise and perform perfectly. In other words, when an athlete goes out to practice, they do not practice imperfectly. Listen, when a coach has a whistle, the whistle tells you you did something wrong. Whistle blows. Everybody lines back up. Run it again. You run the play. You screw up again. He blows the whistle, get back on the line, run it again. And you're run it again and run it again and run it again until you practice it perfectly. Now, we know on this side of heaven, nobody's perfect. But what there is a responsibility of is the pursuit of practicing this thing perfectly. Scripture calls it, theologians calls it progressive, uh, progressive sanctification. There's this need to be live like you're sanctified, but you're being sanctified. And when you die and go see Jesus, you are then sanctified. The sanctification is complete and sealed because absent from the body, present with the Lord. You've exchanged the incorruptible for what? The corruptible. But in the meantime, and in the between time on this earth, there's a responsibility to practice it well. Completely possessing the standard is living in a way, church, that we're providing an example to other people. And when we provide an example to other people, you know what it does? It refreshes the souls of believers all around you. One of the greatest blessings I have as a pastor is to see when people get it. When I see a man learning to love his wife as Christ loved the church, when I see a man uh, you know, loving and raising his children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and they're not afraid of him, you follow me? There's a healthy respect but they're not shivering in dad's presence, but they're running to be with dad and hold dad and love dad, but yet they respect dad. That dude's got it. He's got it. You know, when his wife is respecting him and he doesn't have to raise his voice and pump out his chest and all those different things, but she still respects him and adores him and loves him, man, that just does my heart well. It's like, dang, you are refreshing my soul. It's the standard, church. And we have a responsibility to possess it completely and live it in a way that it refreshes those around us. Lastly, how can we refresh one another? We refresh each other by safeguarding uh, and protecting the good doctrine. One of the most disheartening things in the church today is this, is horrific doctrine. It is one of the most frustrating, discouraging, uh, depleting, um, I believe, tools of the enemy. 
is having guys like me preach heresy and stupid stuff, you know, that isn't Christ and Christ alone. Listen, here's the deal, church. I talk to theologians all the time, and, and in the seminaries, here's, here's the thought today. If you didn't know this, do you realize America, and you could say even the whole world, really, is in a post-Christian era? America is a post-Christian society. But here's the wonderful thing about that. <laughs> a post looks just like a pre What was the answer in a pre-Christian society? Christ. So what's the answer in the post? Christ. So whenever we deviate from the doctrine of Christ and the scriptures that teach clearly that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is eternal life in Christ Jesus, right? And when we start deviating from, right, it's by grace you've been saved, right? Lest any man should boast, once we start deviating from that, that is horrific doctrine. Once we start deviating from the doctrine of the church, that it is this, that your primary responsibility is to go in all the world through the power of the Holy Spirit and make disciples of all nations, tribes, and tongues, not just your people. Amen. Something's wrong. It's off. When a church is not about going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, no matter what order or sequence you do it, if you're not in the whole world, or if you're not in Samaria, if you're not in Judea, if you're not in, in Jerusalem, something is horrifically wrong with the doctrine. So we must protect this. Because what you'll find, church, is this. When grown men become babies, it's nothing like the transformational work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when a grown man who's been living life on his own comes to a place of humility and finds Jesus, and he knows he's but a little baby boy in the palm of a Savior's hand. It is nothing like seeing the power of a man emerge like never before. Amen. That no matter if I'm, if I'm fatherless on this side of heaven, I'm never fatherless. And when you see a broken woman healed and transformed that her femininity and her you know is just glowing and and she is just so secure with her daddy it's nothing like it in the world but if a church skips jerusalem judea samaria and the oldermost parts of the world but when the church skips making disciples of all nations tribes and tongues you miss all that then it's just become this unhealthy gathering place. We got to protect it. You see, the law and the word of God is so good, as I just described to you, if it's properly used. Because guys like me again, truth be told, we can become master wordsmiths and be hyperly creative to manipulate people, to get people to do whatever we want them to do. But listen what the text says, what Paul says in 1 Timothy 
to his son. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And this is the last portion of scripture to read for today. But the goal of our instruction is love. From a pure heart. From a good conscience. And from a sincere faith. Doing this because of love. Doing this with a pure heart, clear conscience, sincere faith. No strings attached. Nothing, there's no tentacles attached to it but Jesus. Some people have strayed from these things and have turned aside to fruitless discussions. You hear that? Wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying are the matters about which they make confident assertions. assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. People shouldn't be running away from the word of God because it's good. But here's the definition of the word good to help us understand. It is excellent. It is choice. It is surpassing. It is precious. It is useful. It is suitable. It is beautiful to look at. Shapely, magnificent, excellent in its nature and characteristics. Well adapted to its end. It is genuine. It is approved. Such as one ought to be. It is praiseworthy. Morally good, it is noble, affecting the mind agreeably, comforting and confirming. This is the treasure. And this treasure has great balance. It's great balance. One should never get to a point that we say, well, I got to change what the, the word of God says because of what's happening out there in the world. No, the word of God is confirming. The gospel is for every season. Jesus is for every season, for every circumstance. There's no other answer. So our responsibility is to protect the good doctrine because it ultimately provides the refreshment to the body of Christ, that the body of Christ will always need. Amen? Amen. Article that read, or titled this way, says, 30 free or cheap ways to reduce stress and to refresh yourself. Here's one of the 30. (laughs) Go watch a Little League baseball game in the park. (laughs) It says, those kids keep things in perspective. In other words, just go out there. I remember my son Joshua, man, right, picking up, you know, and like, <sighs> Josh, now the ball's coming. Oh. <laughs> right? So it's just something about that perspective, right? It's something about the innocence. It's just something about why are you all serious, church? Why are you all, you know, just so hard on each other. 
All you are is a bunch of little league players in the outfield trying to figure this thing out. Listen, you go to a little league baseball game, it is total, total, and ultimate chaos. I mean, they running past first base into the outfield like, oh, you know, just, I mean, if, if, yeah, if there was no coaches on the field, it would be utterly chaos. And every parent on the sideline is like, oh, look at Johnny, oh, oh, look at Johnny, isn't he so fast, isn't she, she's such a good hitter. She had like 10 tries. <laughs> you know, we're just so enthusiastic. So what's your perspective? Man, I think at the end of the day, what you'll begin to find out, church, is this. That person that you think you can live without is the person you will find out later on if you give God time that you can't live without. How do I know this, church? You see, the person who's just pending this about refreshment, you know who it is? It is the Apostle Paul. You know what Apostle Paul did early in his ministry? And he was all full of himself. He had this guy by the name of Barnabas, the encourager. That's what his name means. He had the ultimate encourager with him. But you know what Paul did? Because his, his cousin, Barnabas' cousin, quote, left him on the mission field, you know what he says? Well, you know, I, I don't want John Mark to come with me. But then Barnabas, the encouragement, he, he kind of bent, bent, leaned and bent towards his cousin, John Mark, and says, okay, well, I'm going to take and go with John Mark. And then Paul then had to go with what? Silas. So Paul thinks he's made this, this great decision that he literally used the words, he is useless to me. How many people are you saying that about today? Useless. But here's the deal. Fast forward time, God starts changing the heart of Paul. His last few moments on this earth, guess who he calls for? I sent for John Mark because he is now useful to me. But then stitch this together. You have this small one chapter book called Philemon that really describes Paul's journey from, you know, John Mark part one to John Mark part two, because you have this guy, Obnissimus and Philemon. He's writing a book to Philemon or a letter to Philemon, and Philemon has issue with Onesimus. It's like, come on, dude, what's your problem? This, now, Paul is like saying, y'all need to get along. Huh? <laughs> and then Paul begins to talk to Philemon, and he says, hey, you know what? Do you remember all that I invested in you, Philemon? That I was for you. Now, here's your new brother in the Lord called Omnissimus. Welcome him and, and live with him and, and work with him and be reconciled to him. He couldn't write that book until he first got it. In other words, until Paul, who wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament, began to change his perspective about John Mark. The beautiful thing about the text is it mentions nothing about John Mark. 
that, well, you know, John Mark had this, you know, wonderful relationship with Barnabas and they went off and sailed in the sunset and, and they start changing lives. Like, no, it's Paul, 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 Paul. And then Paul, the one who had, if you would, the most authority, the most credit, right? The most influence was the one God called out and said, you know what you got to do? You got to make it right. Because that guy who you once thought was useless, he's actually useful to you. Change your perspective. Because there may be people in your life right now that you may think are useless, but they are created by God to refresh you. Change your perspective. Because when you change your perspective, you see the end game is ultimately this. God will use that person who was nudging you and just rubbing you and just making your skin crawl and keeping you up at night. And he's, he or she is the topic of the dinner table and kitchen, you know, breakfast table over coffee, inappropriately so. What God would do is use them to nudge you to make you more like Jesus. Because here's the deal, the ultimate climax and the ultimate description of refreshment is, are you more like Jesus? It's not feeling a certain way, it's, are you more like Jesus? When someone visits you to encourage you in your prison, it's not just to make you feel warm and fuzzy was to help you be more like Jesus. The prison guard is there to also help you become more like Jesus. The one who nails you to your cross is also there to help you be more like Jesus. So yes, refreshment can even come in difficult scenarios and difficult relationships if you change your perspective. Thank you again for listening to our series from Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.